Let's take our Bibles and open them to Philemon. It's towards the back of the New Testament, or if you're scrolling to Philemon, just scroll down to the bottom of your phone, and you'll see it there listed. It's a one-chapter book of the New Testament, and today we begin a new series called One, in which we're going to cover all of the New Testament one-chapter books of the Bible in one month. That is quite a feat for First Family, seeing that we spent over two years in Acts. But I'm just trying to show some of you who like us to make quicker progress that we can actually, you know, we can make tracks when we need to, right? So this month, out of the five Sundays, we'll have a guest speaker next week. Out of the remaining four, we'll cover Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And each of these intense yet short letters, they pack a powerful punch, and you'll see that today as well. And we begin with the book of Philemon. Some pronounce this, by the way, Philemon. I prefer to say Philemon. I don't know if there's a correct way to say it. Uh, take your best shot. I think we know what we're talking about. It's the man's name to whom the book is addressed. And you see that in verse 1, of course. Uh, I'll say more about him, the person who may be his wife, or perhaps just someone close to him at Sophia, as well as the folks there who were um, in the church at their house. You'll hear more about that in a minute. I want to make sure, though, that before we dive into the book and have you hear it and we talk about its main point, that you understand kind of where we're headed, all right? So imagine a couple of scenarios, would you? Let's talk to the kids for a minute. Let's take an older elementary kid, maybe a fourth or fifth grader. Let's say you're at school one day and um, you have an interaction with, a, with another fourth or fifth grader. That means you have a an encounter, you, 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 something happens between you and them and you don't get along and it goes on and on. It lasts all school year. By the end of the school year, you just don't want to be with them, you don't want to see them, you sit at different places at lunch, you just don't like being with them. Then you find out they're moving and so they move away and you're like, I'm so glad they've moved. They just were not easy to be around, they treated me meanly, I didn't like that person in school at all. The summer ends and you go to your first day of class next year and you see them there. And so you start getting worried. So you ask the teacher, why is Billy or why is Amy, I, I thought they moved, why are they back? And the teacher says, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, I know Billy was, or Amy, I, I know they were difficult last year, but something happened to them this summer that was really good and so they're, they're really changed and in fact, they were asking about you, and they want to be your friend again. As a fourth and fifth grader, you're like, oh, I don't think I want to be their friend. And So you have all these emotions about how it was in the past, and yet you have this person kind of interceding, saying that they want to be your friend, but you're not sure what happened. And it's kind of a mixed bag of emotion there, I would say, even for fourth and fifth graders. Let's translate that to adults for a minute. You walk into church one day, and you're stopped dead in your tracks. As the person you see in front of you, you recognize them. That, that's the person you worked with three years ago who lied about you and you didn't get the promotion you are hoping for. Uh, they never said they were sorry. In fact, they denied ever doing it, but you know it's true and they just treated you awful. I mean, if there ever was a pagan worker, it was them. They blatantly said, I don't believe in that God stuff. I would never go with you to your church. I think it's just a bunch of bunk, and they would laugh at you. But here, you're sure that's them. And suddenly they turn around, 
and they see you face to face. And they say, oh, hello. And your first words are, so you go to church here now. You ever had one of those moments? And the person says, yes, I just got saved a month ago. Now, in a perfect church, you would say hallelujah and you would give them a hug, right? But instead, right at that moment, all of those things from the past come over you. All of those feelings and hurts. And you're like, wow, God does save people and they're in our church. And then suddenly your small group leader walks up beside you and says, hey, I see you've met this person. Guess what? They're going to be in our small group. You're like, oh, my goodness. And, and, and suddenly you're like the fourth or fifth grader. You just can't believe the mixed bag of emotions you're carrying suddenly, the turmoil, the, the, the conflicts you're feeling and sensing. I want you to keep those scenarios in mind as you hear the book of Philemon read from start to finish. It's only 455 English words. 355 Greek words is all. I want you to hear it from start to finish. I want the full weight of the, of the simple letter to kind of weigh on you. And I want you to keep those scenarios in mind as we think about what is this postcard saying to us centuries after it was written. Marty's going to read the whole letter at one sitting. You follow along in your Bible or in your digital device. And then we'll talk more about this letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul. A prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by of your own accord." For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, 
for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Today I would love to walk through this verse by verse. I can't do that in one week. I'd love to talk to you about how verses 4 through about 7 really tie in to verse 20. You see the word refresh mentioned twice. You ought to connect those perhaps in your small group tonight or this week. I'd love to talk to you more about the lineup in verses 23 and 24. That's a- Paul writes his letter to appeal to Philemon that when this occurs, when Onesimus goes back, does the right thing and goes back to his rightful employer, he wants Philemon to receive him back well. He uses the phrase, receive him as you would receive me. So we know that Philemon and Paul were friends. And if Paul were to show up, Philemon would say, hey, welcome, glad you're here. He's saying, I want you to receive your former employee back in the same way you'd receive me. It's an appeal by Paul for Philemon to take Onesimus back. We'd say this, it's an appeal for reconciliation. And Paul kind of comes in as a mediator to help these two restore something that was previously to some degree, broken. You might call it a triangle of relationships, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. And each one had a role to play in this restoration that was going on. What I want to focus your attention on, besides verse 10 and 17, which seems to be the real key verses. Verse 10, it says, is an appeal. Verse 17, what is the appeal? That he would receive Onesimus as he'd receive Paul. Notice in both verses, the word appeal is used twice. In verse 10 and 9, in verse 17, the word receive is used twice. It kind of clues us into some of the key phrases and the key thoughts here. But why can that happen? Why can Paul now kind of interject himself into a difficult situation and say, Philemon, I need you to receive Onesimus back as if you were receiving me. Why would Paul do that? What gives him the confidence that this thing will be restored? I think it goes to uh, verse uh, 16. I think it goes to verse 9, 10, 11, where he talks a bit about Onesimus now being a child of God. He says that uh, he calls himself Onesimus' father in verse 10. Do you see that? I became Onesimus' father. He doesn't mean there he... He was his physical father. What he means there is that somewhere in this imprisonment, Paul led Onesimus to Christ. He shared the gospel with him and became a spiritual father to Onesimus. We find this also in the end of verse, what, 15, 16, where he says he's no longer a bondservant. He's a beloved brother. Do you see that? Especially to me. So Paul's heart here is that this... This guy Onesimus holds a special place in Paul's heart. Why? Because I think Paul led him to Christ, shared the gospel with him, was part of how how God saved him. He was instrumental in that process. And he's saying to, to Philemon, receive Onesimus back as a brother, not just an employee. In other words, the man who wronged you and who left you, the former employee that you really felt was useless, he's now very useful because of his new identity. Watch this, church. Because of his new identity, and so I want you to have a 
different interaction with him. A question. What is the identity based on? It's based on the gospel, isn't it? Onesimus was once a lost employee. He was a pagan worker. He wasn't one of Christ's. But apparently he ran into Paul in some way, was saved by God, and became a spiritual son. And so now Paul says, because of Onesimus' new identity, I can actually send him back, even though there's been some wrong in the past, and I can expect from you, Philemon, a new interaction with him. I can expect what was once at least broken, perhaps even ruined, to actually be redeemed and restored. Why? Not because of Paul's power. Not because of of any of Paul's persuasion. For one reason, Paul understood there was a new identity. And and, and Philemon would see that and say, wow, this is not just now a former employee. This is now a brother. He's, watch this church, he's on the same level in one sense, at least um, uh, from a position in Christ as Paul. Not apostolic authority, but at least from his position in Christ. This is like Paul coming here. He's a brother in Christ. I'm going to receive him in the same way. See, this message really isn't about getting you to forgive someone in one sense. I think that's part of this. I think things like forgiveness, new beginnings, fresh starts are all part of this. But there's something deeper going on. Why can we accept people back? Why can we start over with some people? Why can we have one of those so you go to church moments and then realize we'll get through this even if they're in our small group? What makes that possible? Here it is. Gospel identity, new gospel identity, God saving us and calling us his own breeds new gospel interaction. In fact, that's what should be assumed in the church. Did you know that? That your gospel identity should enable you and others to have gospel interactions. That that whose you are, your purchased by the blood of Christ, and you belong to Jesus, should now affect how you get along with your other brothers and sisters. Paul knew this. And so he writes this letter as an appeal, as a coming alongside of. That's what the word actually means. It means to call alongside. Paul is coming alongside Onesimus and saying to Philemon, hey, listen, this is a new kid now. This is a new man. This is a new person. And so I want you to receive him back as if it were me you were receiving. Why? Because he's now your brother, not just someone who worked for you. So guys, let's just put this in a singular, simple sentence kind of way. What are all these 25 verses, 455 English words, what are they saying to us? What's the real gist? There's a lot of truth here, granted. But what could we use as a single sentence to kind of get our hands around what's happening in this postcard to Philemon? Here's what I believe is going on. Paul is simply saying, through the Holy Spirit, that relationships that were previously regarded as ruined They can be redeemed when God's new identity of us replaces the old sin that happened to us. A lot of words there, but read it again, and this time read it with me. Together, are you ready? Relationships previously regarded as ruined can be redeemed when God's new identity of us replaces the old sin that happened to us. This is really what's going on in this short, simple, powerful one-chapter book. Paul is being used by God to help restore two brothers who weren't formerly brothers. I think Philemon must have had one of those, so you go to church here now moments? (laughs) And he realizes, wow, 
he's not the guy he used to be. How do we get through this? How do we navigate that? Now, here's what we don't have in Philemon. Listen very carefully to me. And kids, I hope you're filling the blanks in, kind of follow along with me, noticing things in your handout. Here's what we don't have in Philemon. We don't have a huge amount of information about how this happened. We just know Paul's heart is kind of laid out. He expresses the appeal. He tells why he can expect it. And then we have some indication in the book of, of, of why Paul did what he did. But we don't know a lot of details about how this happened. Here's what I think I draw from that. Is I, I don't think this is an easy road to travel. Okay, I want you to hear this. As you look at, at getting along with people, as I look at getting along with people, especially ones that you knew as former pagans who are now born again, maybe even folks that you were witnessing to that you became at odds with, they didn't like you kind of barging in their life. And now they have become a Christian. They're following Jesus and your friends again. Getting maybe past some of the things that happened or things you know about them may not be easy, but I'm here to tell you, it's possible. And we should not uh, keep people in a certain level or status based on their past when they were unbelievers, when God has restored them, redeemed them, and given them a new identity. Let us be, have an open arms and say, hey, uh, what does this look like going forward? Admitting that that can be a hard road. It can be a long road. It can be difficult. Forgiveness, mediation, um, new starts, fresh beginnings, those aren't always easy to navigate, but they are possible, okay? Now, before I take a few questions, let me just say this to you. I, I think what he does in the book, that we don't have a ton of information about, the, about how it happened with these two, Paul does lay out for us a few principles that he operated by in his role. Remember, it's a triangle here. There's Philemon, there's Paul, there's Onesimus, what did Paul do in his efforts to try to help bring some redemption to something that was previously ruined? I think the, the bulk of the book kind of gives some framework or, or some, maybe some flesh to the framework provided in 10 and 17. Let me just walk you through these four real briefly. Ken, I'll show them to you at one time so you can write them down. Kids, fill the blanks in, would you? And you can kind of follow along with me as well. But I think here's some things that Paul did in his efforts to help this ruined relationship kind of find some redemption. First of all, Paul operated from a foundation of love. Now you find this in the beginning verses where he talks very highly about Philemon, about his past and the sharing of his faith and his ability to refresh the saints. And then you find Paul simply saying to, to Philemon, I don't want to command you to accept your former employee back. I would rather come to you as an appeal and just ask you to do this. And so that's what he does. And here's why he does it, because he knows that a posture of love is much more effective than a, than a position of legalistic authority. I mean, that's, that's the simple, plain truth. In fact, he says that, doesn't he? He says, I'm coming to you, appealing to you out of love. Watch the verse 15, uh, verse 14, excuse me, so that this would not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. What he wants is willingness, not compulsion. So Paul kind of comes with a posture of love and says, Philemon, I know Onesimus, whatever may have happened, it didn't go well, didn't end well. There may be money involved, cost, but he's a new man now. Can, can you see that side of it, and can you willingly, on your own accord, accept him back? That's what Paul's doing. He's appealing out of a, a, from a foundation of love. And here's why this is important. Listen to me very carefully, church. When people are in hurt, when they're in deep pain, what they need is someone 
from a platform of love speaking to their life, not someone with a whip and a stick beating them over the head. That doesn't mean that you sacrifice truth. It just means that you come about it in a different approach. Does that make sense? In fact, Paul's approach here is really beautiful, isn't it? He just, in several ways, he's, he's, he's modeling for us what it looks like to approach someone with something pretty heavy and important, and yet in a very gentle, loving, father-like way. And so he asks Philemon, strongly, will you accept this man back? So I just want to encourage you, as you think about relationships of which you're a part, whatever role of the triangle you're in, operate from a foundation of love. This really goes in line with 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't it? Which is often called the love chapter. Now the context of that is all about spiritual gifts. How we're to operate within the body of Christ under the Holy Spirit's power. We're to do that in love. But he does make some interesting points overall, especially in the beginning of the book of the chapter when he says this, that if I were to move mountains and give my body to be burned and give everything I have to the poor, if I don't have, say it with me, love, I am what? I'm a big fat zero. I got nothing going on right. No, no matter what I might do, if the, the foundation of that isn't love, then it just counts for zero. No wonder Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of the commandment, the goal of our instruction, is love from a pure heart. The end game of God's work in your life is love. Now watch this, church. That's possible because the beginning game of God's work in your life is love. Did you know that? John 3.16, For God so loved the world. So love is, is, is crucial in all of our interactions and encounters, especially where there's deep hurt and pain. We must come at things from a foundation of love and approach it that way. Paul did, and it paid off. A second principle we see here is that we, we need to notice that, that God is doing something in the bigger picture. I like verse 15 a lot. It kind of shows us that Paul knows that, that this letter needs to land well with Philemon, he needs to accept Onesimus back, but there's something more than just getting a, a former employee back. He says in verse 15, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. Do you see that? Now, by the way, Paul's never been that soft about God's sovereignty. Can I say that to you? I don't think Paul is soft, but he's, he is quite gentle there, isn't he? I mean, has Paul ever used the word perhaps in his life? I don't know. You read Romans 8, you read Ephesians. I mean, it's what God does. It's what God has done. God's the sovereign ruler. He's the king. And God's got this. And yet, here we find Paul, after just many verses about his love for Philemon and appealing to him without commanding it, he then says, hey, Philemon, um, you know, perhaps this is, there's something bigger going on here. And this is why God even had him you know, depart from you. I mean, it almost sounds like Paul knows in his head, this is what's going on, but he's got to land that plane kind of softly. You know what I'm saying? Let's go back to the the scenarios, people in deep hurt, their pain. Watch this, guys. You don't walk in with a big stick. You don't walk in with a whip and you say, hey, Travis, you know what? I know you're hurting, you're in pain, but man, come on, God's got this. He's doing something you don't know about. Get over it, toughen up. That's not really what you do when someone's in pain, when they're hurting. Now, while I would believe that, I might rather come alongside Travis, which is what the word appeal means, means to come alongside of, Sit down next to him and say, Travis, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how that happened. 
between you and, you know, Jim. I don't know. You know, I, I'm sure God's got something going on this. I, he might say, yeah, well, I'd like to know what it is. He might say that. He might vent a little bit. I'm still going to hold the belief solidly. You with me? But I'm just going to feed it to him a spoonful at a time. And the truth is, Travis knows this. But when you have love as your foundation, you take your time with people. You sit down with them and you come alongside them. And you gradually, hopefully, show them, hey, you know what? There's, there's something bigger happening here. What was it in Philemon and Onesimus' situation? I believe it was the fact that Onesimus became a Christian. In fact, you find this at the end of verses uh, 15 where he says, this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Now you read that, you may think, well, I guess the big reason was that, that Philemon would get him back as an employee, but that's really not what the point of the verse is. Because the word forever seems to indicate something longer than earthly situation. And look what he says. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. The point of what happened may be that, that, that God allowed this, ordained this, so that Onesimus could actually become a Christian and get saved and then go back. And guess what, Philemon? You'd have something more than an employee. You'd have a new brother. Like, if you were to ask Philemon later, hey, Philemon, was, was that pain and hurt worth Onesimus' salvation? If you were in the first century, you might, I'm sure Philemon would say, sure it was. But in the moment, he might not have known that or thought that. And Paul here is encouraging him to see the bigger picture. Now, let me just kind of pause here for a moment and make a close application, all right? This coming Saturday, we've got a chance, an opportunity for many of you to invite someone with whom you're in, re in relationship with to a chili outreach dinner. Come upstairs to the youth center. We'll take a 50 of you who will bring at least one person, have about 100 people there. We've got several of you already signed up. You've told us you're coming. You've told us the number of guests you're bringing. We'll eat together. We'll be normal people. We'll show a couple of three testimonies. And they'll see the gospel kind of lived out in this simple 30-minute video. And then we'll just have an opportunity for them to ask questions perhaps or respond in some way. It's not a, not a, not a bait-and-switch deal, just an honest presentation that you can bring someone to that you're in relationship with, you have a friendship with, and you can tell them that up front. Now watch this. You may say, well... This person, I don't know if I've got the, the chips invested to ask that question. I don't know if they're going to accept it well. I'm a little uh, worried about what they're going to think of me. You may have a lot of if, ands, or buts. But wouldn't you agree that whatever discomfort you would find yourself in here immediately would be worth it if next Saturday night they heard the gospel and got saved? Wouldn't you agree with that? Sure you would. I mean, no one here is going to say, no, Todd, I'm more important than their eternal destiny. You're not going to say that. And if you do, see me afterwards. I mean, you're just not going to say that. This is kind of the point behind this. When we look at what's happening, Philemon would surely say, yes, I would go through that hurt again if it would mean that Onesimus would become a Christian. If I knew that up front, sure, I would do it willingly. But the problem is we don't know those things up front. And we often get fearful and scared of difficult things, things that bring us discomfort, things that seem hard, that make us nervous, and so we back away. But I wonder... In the middle of those very things, if that isn't often what God is doing and using to bring someone else into his family. There's more at stake than you and, you and I often realize. And just to be frank with you, I don't know who you're talking to this week, who you're engaged with, communicating with, but I would encourage you when the enemy comes to you and the devil says to you, hey, don't call him, don't email him, don't text him, 
they're not going to come with you Saturday night. Besides, you've got more on your plate. They're too busy. They may, they may get offended. They're not going to like you. Just hear that as from the enemy and have some courage to accept some discomfort in the immediate for what could be an eternally beneficial evening for them. All right? Because something is going on in the bigger picture than we realize. Not just in our life in general, but just even in our hurt for sure. Paul knew this, and so he addressed it and talked about it in a very loving, shepherd-like way. A third thing he did was he put his money where his mouth was. You notice that? He said, once you receive him, if he has wronged you and owes you something, charge it to my account, I'll take care of it. I don't think Paul had just won the lottery. I don't think he was a millionaire. I think Paul knew that he had to have some investment. He had to show that he, he was in with more than words for these two to really come together and work things out. He put his money where his mouth was. And I think that's something that we as a church family have to realize that as whatever role we play in this triangle of relationships when God's trying to redeem some things that we think maybe previously were ruined, often there is a person who, who has to make an investment. Sometimes even all three. But you've kind of got to be all in. I was in fact praying about this very concept this morning, just thinking it through, just reading that verse over and over, and, and this thought came to mind. You know, I like words, I like kind of playing around with them. And here's what the Holy Spirit seemed to prompt me with, this statement. When there is an underst- a family understanding, there will usually follow a financial undertaking. I mean, when you realize that your new identity connects you to that person, that you're in the same spiritual family, I don't think we have to pull resources from each other in a begrudging kind of way. I think they naturally flow because we realize, wow, we belong to each other. I mean, you can just read the book of Acts, guys, how generously and willingly they shared their stuff. Why? Because they knew they belonged to the same spiritual family. And so they gave. You find this throughout the epistles as Paul, writing to the churches there in Acts that they established, talks a lot about giving and sharing. So my question to you is, how is that in your life? Or are you giving and sharing? Are you putting in of your resources, especially in situations where that's what's needed to show that you, you really want reconciliation to work? That's what Paul did. Put his money where his mouth was. If you think this is odd then I would challenge you on that thought because no one would bat an eye at this in their physical family. You go to the hospital, you have a new baby, you come home, they're a week old, you're like, okay, uh, you're a week old, let's get a job, let's get this worked out, get your own Gerber, come on, we've got to figure this out, and allowance is slim, jobs are hard to find, but you're a week old, let's go. No one would dream of that, you'd laugh and say, Todd, that's ridiculous, and it is, being facetious, but it's funny, in our spiritual family, when there are issues and needs, and we have to kind of put forth from our own resources to help, how sometimes we can back up and act like we're being put out. When really, isn't that what families do? When we have a sense of family, when we, that, that we belong to each other, I tend to think the financial undertaking, the obligation that comes from that isn't something that's a difficult thing when you realize we do belong to each other. I want to say to you a word of thanks as well about giving and this aspect of just sharing your things and your stuff. Last week in our invitation, as you know, we had a number of folks respond to get baptized. Two were baptized at 8.30 this morning. Two more came this, uh, this last service and said, Todd, we want to get baptized and then born again. Those are all good things. But when it comes to 
matters of obedience besides baptism, the number one response from our people last week in the invitation was they wanted to be obedient in their giving. I would say double-digit numbers of you said, Todd, we've just been selfish and stingy. We think, we think about what the globe needs in regards to the gospel, how little we actually are giving, and, and Todd, we're just, we're just going to be in. We're going to give biblically. We're going to set aside a portion every single week as God has led us. We're going to give that to and through the church so that God's name is famous among the nations, so that people are helped, so that the family is strengthened. I want to say thank you for that. Um, it's been showing up the last few weeks in your giving, and I just want to say thank you for being one to hear God's truth about a matter so important. It is one of the first signs that we truly belong to God as we are willing to share and give of our stuff. So thank you very much. Paul knew this, and so he put his money where his mouth was. Lastly, I think what he did was he assumed the best. Don't you love verse 21? Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing you will do even more than I say. I mean, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So he appealed from love. He then made sure Philemon knew something bigger is going on. He was willing to bear the costs of it so that it would really prompt them and remove hurdles. And then he just said, oh, by the way, with all I've done, I, I, know, you, I know you're going to do this. You'll probably do more than this. I mean, there's just this expectation that he knew Philemon would kind of rise to. So these four things are at least things Paul did in his role of trying to help take something that was ruined and redeem it. I'll say them again for you. He operated from a foundation of love. He saw what God was doing in the bigger picture and communicated that. He put his money where his mouth was and he assumed the very best, which was above and beyond obedience. And before I help you see a picture of this in real life, let me see if there's any questions that have come in about the text itself and we'll try to address those if we can. Question one, if Paul led Onesimus to Christ, wouldn't he refer to him as a brother. I think he actually uh, did that in verse 16 where he says, receive him, where he talks about Onesimus's. He says, he is a beloved brother especially to me, but now much more to you or how much more to you? So I think he does refer to Onesimus here as a brother in this verse. Let's go to our next question. Why did you keep referring to Onesimus as an employee instead of a slave? This passage refers to him as a slave several times. You're right. He was a slave. I think I used the word employee to help maybe bridge a cultural gap. If I were just to say to you, hey, how's your slave coming along? You'd be like, hey, Todd, we don't operate that way. And the truth is, we don't have indentured servants anymore. None of you go to your employer's house and spend the night, eat their food. You don't do that. So our culture is different. So I'm trying to probably bridge a gap by saying he was a slave here. And in this culture inside, he was owned contractually by Philemon. But because that's hard to understand and because most of us have terribly negative thoughts of that, we, we would immediately think, man. But in that culture, it was probably more of an indentured servant situation. He was hired and in some sense that way owned. And so he did his job. He lived on site. He was part of their family. And so that's why I use that word to kind of help you see more of the, of, of the way it was in that setting without having initially a lot of negative bad thoughts. But I don't want to back away. The word is slave. It is bond servant there, no doubt about it. And that's what he was in that first century culture. Is there one more, Alan? Okay, good questions. I appreciate those, that kind of honesty. Now, as you think about your own relationships and which role you may be in in that triangle of relationships, as God's redeeming things that are maybe ruined in the past, he wants them to work in the future, 
Did you think about those moments, you know, those, you go to church here now, moments, whatever? I want you to hear this story that I think shows us just what's possible. Because this is a difficult road, but it's not an impossible one. It's the story of Corey Tim Boom after she was released from the Nazi death camps. Now, some of you may not know who Corey Tim Boom is, understandably so. She was a survivor of the World War II death camps. Her sister, Betsy, was not a survivor. Um, she was in Ravensbrück, a concentration camp. And they would march them into the gas chambers. They would march them into different bathrooms. And, and there were terrible atrocities that happened in that war uh, to the Jewish people. She was one of those who survived that horrific experience. And after she was released, she traveled in various parts of the world speaking about her experiences. She was a Christian. And in one of those speaking engagements, it was in Munich, she looked out at the crowd. And she's talking about the Lord and God and her experience and how he got her through that. And she spots a former SS guard. In fact, she recognizes him. She recognizes him from Ravensbrück. And she suddenly remembers her sister's face when she passed. She remembers all the atrocities, the, 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 the terrible things that happened. And she sees this guard's face. And she, in fact, writes that she remembers seeing his face as she would stand guard by the bathhouse. And suddenly she's speaking and she is just filled with, with tons of emotions that she can't solve on the spot understand or even deal with but she's got to speak and and she's just not sure what to do with this well the service ends and the ss the former ss guard approaches her and he says to her this he says fraulein you are so right how miraculous that our sins are washed away so she's standing face to face with someone who previously in their past was responsible for murders in her family, and yet since then had become a Christian, was listening to the Word of God and wanted to meet her. I think that beats any of your, so you go to church here now moments, hands down, doesn't it? Here's what she writes about the ensuing conversation. She says, I tried to smile I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. She describes in this book, of course, more about this encounter and just how difficult it was to shake his hand, to look at him. And she was at a loss. And she says, the Lord just simply... At that very moment, says this, the most incredible thing happened. I quote, from my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While, my heart, while in, my, in my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. She says, I reached out and shook his hand and saw him as a new brother. You know what happened to her at that moment? A new identity by the gospel brought a new interaction with the gospel. So how can things that were formerly ruined be redeemed and restored? Through the gospel. Our understanding of the incredible forgiveness Christ has given us 
and then the willingness to extend that. How does that happen? There's four practical ways to go about it. My point this morning is to show you that it can be done and don't quit short of what God would have in your relationships that you may think at some point are ruined. No, they're not. God has the incredible supernatural power to redeem even broken things, amen, and restore relationships through the power of His forgiveness in our life and then from our lives to others. Let's pray.